we can't do everything on our own. Quite simply, life is sometimes too hard, too complicated, or too painful to handle it ourselves. But unfortunately, it usually takes us many years to figure that out. Oh, yeah, sorry. If you are age three to pre-K. I'm so used to that slide, I can't live without the, the slide. Thank you, Kayla. So the bad part, of course, is that in our pride and the way we naturally operate, it can take us a really long time to figure it out that we can't do it all ourselves. Usually that sort of awareness doesn't come until sometime in our 20s or our 30s or our 40s. But eventually we do begin to realize it, that there are certain problems that are just a lot bigger than we are. Now, I first began to realize this when I was 23. We were about to get married, and I was the epitome of a guy who could do it all myself until I was in a car accident that left me with a surgically repaired right ankle. If you live in Northern Virginia, a surgically repaired right ankle is a problem because you can't drive. I needed therapy multiple times a week. I needed to work. I couldn't drive. Mass transit wasn't an option. Uber hadn't been invented yet, so what's a guy to do? This was beyond me. And that is when my sister-in-law organized what she called the BASS, the Bass, not Rob Pitt's kind of Bass, the Busted Ankle Shuttle Service. She actually made a placard for it and would throw it on the dashboard as people would give me a ride somewhere. So with a small team of drivers, the Bass actually got me everywhere I needed to go in those weeks leading up to our wedding. And what was completely hopeless for one person was doable in community. Community, whether it is found in family or friends or colleagues or neighbors, is the thing that helps us get through those challenges that are bigger than we are. But we need to recognize that for Christians, God has created a special kind of community. That in fact, the, the very things that Mary read to us from Psalm 30, the way God raises us up and restores us and heals us, quite often in the New Covenant, He works through other Christians. He has created a special kind of community called the church to help us run the marathon of life in a way that glorifies Him. As Christians, we are called to actively participate in Christian community, to be, to be blessing people and to be blessed by them, to be caring for people and to be cared for when the time is needed. And so today, as we near the end of his letter to the Galatians, Paul describes life in Christian community for us in chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. Paul writes, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. It's a sad reality that our culture is filled with superficial relationships. And probably no place more so than Northern Virginia. We have neighbors we don't know. 
We have colleagues that we barely know. And we have hundreds of Facebook friends with seemingly perfect lives, and then we don't understand why ours is the only one that's a mess. God has ordained the church to be different from this. To be a place where deep and active relationships can form. Relationships that don't just pat us on the back all the time, but relationships that challenge us and change our lives. And in these verses, Paul makes clear, God creates Christian community to humbly help each other. Right, let me say that again. This is really the bottom line of these five verses. God creates Christian community to humbly help each other. And there are three dimensions to this statement that we'll explore today. First, Paul says we need to help each other escape from sin's snare. So right now, you are sitting in a church, which means you are literally surrounded by sinners. I hate to inform you. Don't look scandalized about your neighbors. But this is a reality. Everybody here has something in their life that tempts them, even though it goes against God's standard of righteous and holy behavior. Now, thanks to the Holy Spirit, many of us can resist those temptations, but all of us will stray at times. All of us will give in. And maybe it's a one-time failure where we recognize our sin and we confess it before God and we repent of it and we know that as Christians, God forgives us because of what Jesus did on the cross. But sometimes in life, we run badly off course. And we fall repeatedly for the lures of a particular temptation. Right, there can be many causes for that. Maybe it's an unhealthy relationship. Maybe it's a powerful addiction. Maybe it is just an extended season of grief or loneliness or anxiety or depression or stress that, that just goes on longer than we can take and it weakens our resolve. And whatever the cause is, we fall badly into sin's snare. And that's when Christian community is the way God uses to get us back on course. So if that is a true statement, what should a Christian do when we become aware of someone else's sin? Now I'm going to first offer five wrong answers to that question. But I'm willing to bet most of us have tried at least one of these and probably several of them, because these are very popular wrong answers. And the illustration I'm going to use is about my friend Joe, not a Joe you know, not any Joe, just an average Joe. Not that restaurant, not your average Joe. This is an average Joe. The illustration I like, I have, like to think of it is as a boa constrictor, because really that's how sin works, right? It's like a big old boa constrictor and it starts wrapping around you. And the more time you spend together the more it wraps around you, and the tighter it begins to squeeze. So the number one wrong answer of what do you do when you become aware of someone else's sin is the thing our culture advises us to do, which is don't get involved. It says, look the other way. Leave people to do their own thing. You do your thing, I'll do my thing. Right? How many times have we heard that in modern American culture? But realize sin is a trap. And so that's like ignoring our friend Joe when he's being crushed by a boa constrictor. So don't ignore Joe. He's got a real problem. Wrong answer number two. 
Let's talk about it. Let's gossip about it. Right? Rather than address the problem, let's tell our friends about it. Be like, hey, Bob, did you know that Joe is getting crushed by a boa constrictor? That guy's a loser. Okay, don't gossip about Joe. Wrong answer number three. Shun Joe immediately. Now, there may be a time where it's not a good idea to continue a relationship with Joe, but but sometimes we go to that real quick. Are you, I don't want any part of what Joe's doing. So instead of addressing the problem, we just break off our relationship. And that's like saying, Joe, I'm never going to talk to you again because I'm really uncomfortable around snakes. Well, Joe should be uncomfortable around snakes, too. Don't shun Joe at this point. Wrong answer number four. Redefine their sin as being okay. This is very popular today. Right? We are constantly being coached and encouraged in our culture to throw out God's standard and to encourage and and support them in their sin. To say that it's natural and acceptable. You know, and that's like saying, Joe, I see you really really like boa constrictors. And obviously, it is all natural. It's a snake. They're natural. So clearly, you're okay with getting crushed by a boa constrictor, so I support you. Okay? Don't support Joe's snake problem. And wrong answer number five is to just simply refuse to get to know anyone well enough that you would ever even notice that they were covered in a boa constrictor. Yes, that will protect you emotionally, but it doesn't help old Joe. He's still got a boa constrictor problem, and it's not going to help you when a boa constrictor comes along looking for you. So get to know Joe. See, Galatians 6.1 forbids each of these wrong but popular answers. Paul says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Paul says that if anyone is caught in any sin, Christians have a responsibility to help them escape that pattern of sinful behavior. Which means we got to get up all up in people's business. And they're probably not going to appreciate it. But we don't have a choice. We don't get to say, well, my friend is not going to be happy when I point out that they have a sin problem and I try to help them get out of it. We don't get to defer that. Galatians 6.1, Matthew 18, James 5, 19 and 20, and others all say that as members of a Christian community, we have a responsibility to our brothers and sisters to help them escape from sin. See, Paul addresses you who are spiritual. Now, given the previous verses, the end of chapter 5, what we talked about last Sunday, he means anybody who is reasonably spiritually mature, not perfect by any measure, but generally walking in step with the Holy Spirit, displaying the fruit of the Spirit, I'm a positive person. I like to think that describes most of us here this morning. And so it means we've got a responsibility. We can't let Joe get crushed by that boa constrictor of sin. We're supposed to jump in, start trying to pry that thing loose and call for reinforcements. We see a brother or sister trapped in a pattern of sin. Paul says that we are to restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Now, this word restore is a very interesting one because in the original Greek, it has several meanings and they all actually apply here. One is to carefully mend something. 
It's used in the New Testament to describe the, the skillful and detailed work of repairing broken fishing nets. Right? Not a, not a fun or quick task, but a skillful task, one that requires meticulous attention to detail. And another common first century usage of this word was medical. It describes the setting of a broken bone. And so as Christians, what Paul is saying is that we are called to a ministry of compassionate healing and repair for our broken brothers and sisters in Christ. And we are called to carefully and gently and skillfully help restore their fractured sensibilities so that they can regain spiritual health. When our brother or sister is too weak to resist temptation, we are supposed to help them grow stronger. That's the ministry that's described in James 5, 19 and 20. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. My friends, it takes profound love to wade into someone else's mess. To battle through all of their defenses and their rationalizations and their resistance to helping rescue them, right? If anybody's ever had lifeguard training, you know that one of the most dangerous things you can do is help somebody stop drowning. It's an act of love. That's the ministry of Christian community, and I hope that each of you will become active in restoring those who have run off course. But don't be a jerk about it. Because it's easy to wade into these kinds of situations just full of self-righteousness and high-handed advice as we try to save that, that poor sinful fool. And we want to lecture, and we want to berate, and we want to humiliate. But Paul says to restore in a spirit of gentleness. Gentleness, as you'll recall, is a part of the fruit of the Spirit. Gentleness harnesses our strength in a way that helps and heals rather than battering and bruising. Right? The solution for someone who is in spiritual pain, who is suffering, who has fallen off track, is not to, to beat them back into being a good person. It is to gently bring them back to where they are to be. And we should be able to restore gently. We should want to restore gently because we should have the humility to recognize our own weakness and our own vulnerability and that someday we may need that restoring, that mending, that setting of our broken sensibilities. Paul warns that our friend's temptation can easily become our temptation. Only by humbly recognizing our weakness do we really tap into the strength of God's Spirit within us. And so he concludes, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. God creates Christian community to humbly help each other escape sin's snare. And second, Paul says, we must help each other carry the burdens of life. Verse 2 continues, bear one, another bur one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Once again, there, there's a very interesting word here. This word burden in the original language describes a heavy weight or a stone that had to be carried for a great distance. A burden, thus, is an excessive or unusual difficulty that we have to endure for an extended period of time. And let's be clear, all of us will be burdened at some point. A burden could be a chronic illness, either for ourselves or for a loved one. 
It could be a serious injury. It could be a disability. It could be a sustained period of unemployment or financial distress or legal trouble or family problems or workplace hostility or divorce or addiction. And if you've never carried a burden, then I say to you, count your blessings. But realize that there is likely a burden in your future. Burdens are a part of ordinary life. This is Paul's point going into this. There's a myth that floats around the Christian community that God won't give us more problems than we can handle, and that's false. See, what people are doing is they're corrupting one of God's promises that he won't let us be tempted beyond our ability to resist or run away. That's a a promise you can bank on. But he'll absolutely let us be burdened beyond our capacity. Because that's how we grow and learn what life is really like in Christ and in community. And so he permits us to be burdened beyond our personal breaking points because he has provided us everything we need in Christ to carry those burdens. Because when we trust in Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are adopted as God's sons and daughters, and he gifts us not only with his Holy Spirit and his strength, but with brothers and sisters to help us carry those burdens. Our burdens, in fact, are a way we learn to humbly appreciate and rely on God and grow closer in Christian community. And so Paul gives us the command to to help carry each other's burdens. So we are supposed to be stepping in when we see friends or neighbors or even strangers crumbling under the weight of their burdens. And this is part of how we are supposed to live in Christ. It's how we fulfill the law of Christ, which most likely is pointing us back to Galatians 5.14. Love our neighbors as ourselves. Some people think they're too good to get involved in the messes of other Christians. After all, they reason that they're probably self-inflicted. And they might be. But it doesn't matter. Other people think they're too good to ask for help because it would reveal their weakness. And to each of these people, right, wherever you fall on the spectrum, too good to help or too good to ask for help, Paul responds in verse 3. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. You see, we are all fallen human beings living in a fallen world with fallen bodies that fail us sometimes and fallen minds that betray us sometimes. Yet we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And to be clear, we did nothing to earn that salvation. We can do nothing to earn that salvation because all of our hard work and good deeds and rule following and ritual following will inevitably fall short of God's perfect and holy and righteous standard. We have spent years proving we do not deserve to be saved by God. Years proving we do not deserve to be welcomed into His eternal presence. And yet God saves us anyway through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. When Jesus Christ, who was the innocent Son of God, the eternal Son of God, when He died to pay the penalty for your sins and for mine, He opened the way of salvation for all who put their faith in Him. And once we accept Christ, we are forgiven, we are 
freed from sin. We are filled with the presence of God's Holy Spirit. We are guaranteed a place in God's presence forever. But it doesn't change the fact that residual sin remains in our hearts. And sometimes it wins the battle. This is what Paul is talking about in 2 Corinthians 4-7 when he writes, well, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Right, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, then you are a flawed clay jar containing the Spirit of God, just like I am. That means there'll be physical weakness, there'll be mental weakness, and there'll be spiritual weakness, because that's what it means to just be a clay jar carrying the treasure of the Spirit of God within. We need to humbly accept that there are some burdens that are too heavy for a clay jar to carry alone, and that there is no shame in asking for help. But we have to be well enough connected to other Christians to know who to ask, on the one hand, and on the other hand, to see who is struggling and in need of help carrying their load. We have to be willing to be inconvenienced in order to help a struggling brother or sister. We may have to be inconvenienced for a long time at great personal cost, but always for God's glory. Twelve years ago, Melanie needed to go on total bed rest for four months leading up to the birth of Colin. Both she and Colin were in grave danger. In the course of that time, she had multiple medical appointments every single week and could literally do nothing else with the rest of her time. Doctor's appointments, bed rest. Sean was starting MDO. I still needed to work occasionally. This was a burden beyond us. And that's where this church, our Christian community, our Sunday school, our friends, our family stepped in for months to help us carry this burden because it was beyond our abilities. And that's how life in Christ is supposed to work. But it only happens when we are in community. Community doesn't happen simply by coming to a building for an hour a week on Sunday mornings. The joy and strength and support that comes from Christian community only forms as we spend meaningful time with smaller groups of people or individuals. So are you in Christian community right now? Right? Who are you looking after to make sure that they're not burdened or straying off course? Who would you turn to if you became burdened or realized you were off course, and you couldn't get yourself back on course? If you cannot answer these questions, then let me urge you to find a community within this church, enter into it, and then take it deeper. Be intentional about forming and deepening relationships within the body of Christ, because this is what we are called to do. A good first step is to join one of the many Bible studies available, either on Sunday morning or Sunday night or throughout the rest of the week for the ladies or on Saturday mornings for the men. And then invite some of those folks for coffee or a meal. Spend time together, talk, laugh, get to know one another. Be natural and then be surprised at the way the supernatural works through that.
God creates Christian community to humbly help each other carry the burdens of life. Now, the remaining verses of this passage warn us about how we're supposed to live in this community. So, verses 1 and 2 is what we're supposed to do. Verses 3, 4, and 5 are really about how we're supposed to do it. Paul teaches we must live with humble awareness of our accountability to God. You see, one of the risks of doing all that helping in verse 1 and verse 2 is that we can get a really big head, right? We're awesome, right? I helped this straying sinner. I, I went and helped this person who was in bad need. We can become tempted to think that we're different somehow or better than these people that we are working with, better than these sinners or these, these weaklings who need help. But realize there, but for the grace of God go we. And hence, Paul warns us at the end of verse 1, keep watching yourself lest you too be tempted. See, you're not better than that sinful brother you're trying to restore. Hence, Paul's pronouncement in verse 3, for if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. You're not stronger than that suffering sister you're helping sustain. We are just one flawed and weak clay jar ministering to another flawed and weak clay jar empowered and sustained by the infinite grace and mercy and strength of God within us through faith in Jesus Christ. So to help keep our egos and our attitudes in check, Paul gives us a command in verse 4. He says we need to evaluate ourselves against God's objective and absolute standard rather than just smugly assessing ourselves and our own awesomeness in comparison to some broken brother or sister in Christ. Verse 4 says, But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. In biblical language, testing like this is referring to a fiery melting process that was used back in the day to, to prove the purity of a precious metal. That's what it means to test yourself or examine yourself. It is a deep scrutiny that we are to be applying to our motives and our efforts and our outcomes, and we are to be comparing them against the pure and perfect standard of Jesus Christ. Not, am I doing better than my neighbor? So take time to think carefully about the way you do or don't help a brother or sister who's in crisis or fallen into sin. Think about whether your motives for helping or ignoring them glorify God. Right? Is the way that you are helping them or ignoring them edify? Godly? And realize that's the only standard that matters. It's irrelevant if you're a bit better than those hypocrites across the aisle from you. All that matters is whether you are doing what God has called you to do. So don't Poison your Christian community with some inflated sense of superiority that you develop based on comparing yourself with other people. Live only to please an audience of one. This is the point Paul's getting at in verse 5. We should be testing our works, verse 4, because one day God will be examining them. Verse 5 says, for each will have to bear his own load. Now, this word load is, uh, again, a Greek, the Greek base for that is describing, in contrast to a heavy stone, right? The burden is the heavy stone over the long distance, right? 
The load is typically used in that time to describe a soldier's knapsack or a pilgrim's backpack. It's the stuff you carry for your daily, ordinary responsibility. It's our typical routine needs and responsibilities of the day. But note, verse 5 is in the future tense. We will one day each bear our own load. Well, now put that together with the context of verses 3 and 4 as we are to be humble and, and recognize our status and compare ourselves only to God's standard and not other people's standard. We realize this is pointing to the one load that nobody can ever carry for us. Our responsibility before God. One day every Christian is going to stand before the Lord and we're going to hear His evaluation of our Christian works. Right, That is the load we will carry into eternity. That will be what's in our backpack. Right, Our good works and our missed works and our tainted works. And they don't affect our salvation. Right, Let's be clear on that. When we put our faith in Christ as Lord and Savior, His righteousness is permanently credited to our account, and the Holy Spirit seals us and guarantees our salvation. That's the good news. But one day, every Christian is still going to have his or her works evaluated by God. And for some of us, that's going to be a disappointing experience. We're going to experience a sense of loss about that. Because there will have been eternal rewards that we have missed out on. Even though we're still going to enjoy God's presence forever. For those saints who live in Christian community as we are meant to live, who represent Christ, the most vulnerable around us, who love God and love neighbor faithfully, realize there is going to be great reward. Paul elaborates on all of this in 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 15. He writes, According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds Upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, straw, hay, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Again, Paul is clear. Salvation is determined at the point we accept Christ as Lord and Savior, yet there is still an evaluation of, that, of what we bring in our backpack from our life as a Christian. And there will either be reward because we have lived in community and we have served and we have helped bring back straying sheep. Or it's going to be like, smell smoke around here? Because we really didn't live the life we are called to live in community as brothers and sisters in Christ. My friends, what are you building in this Christian community? What are you building for God's kingdom here in Lake Ridge? Who are you helping to get their spiritual life back on track? 
And whose burdens are you helping carry during the darkest season of their life? These are the questions we must wrestle with, must come to a conclusive answer about. To truly enjoy that life in Christ that we are called, gifted, blessed to be able to enjoy. Please pray with me. Oh Lord God, we thank you first and foremost for the work of your Son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. For we know that no amount of hard work, no amount of ritual and rule following and good behavior and self-discipline would ever be enough for us to be able to enter your perfect and holy presence. Because we still sin and fall short of your glory. And so we praise you and thank you first and foremost that, that in your eternal mercy and grace and love, you have made provision for us in our sin through the sacrifice of your Son, Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, I pray that if there's any here who have not yet accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that, the, that your Spirit would go to work and that you would bring them to a saving faith in Christ today. Lord, for all those who are saved, all those who have accepted Christ as Lord and Savior, I pray that you will, you will go to work in our heart and reveal to us where we may be falling short in community. Help us to examine our works, Lord. Reveal to us where we are trapped in sin. Or where a friend is trapped in sin and we need to get involved. So Lord, I pray that you will hear us as we pray, come before you and lay before you our, our confession of any sin that has been, been trapping us. Lord, I pray you would reveal to us anyone who's sin we need to help restore. Anyone we need to bring back. Lord, use this time we will lay hear the names we lay before you and give us the boldness to get involved in their life and try to bring them back on course. Father God, if there is any in our life who is burdened, crushed, exhausted, worn out, beaten down, help us to be faithful in going to him or her and offering love and support and real help. Lord, open our eyes to see what you see burdens you see people carrying around. Fill our hearts with a desire to be the hands and feet of your Son tonight. Lord, hear us now as we confess the names of any that we have been aware of and have ignored in 
our own selfishness or short-sightedness or busyness or blindness. Lord God, help us to take seriously this command to form community and to do this ministry of restoration and healing and support that you have appointed to us, the church. Lord, forgive us for our failures and shortcomings in this regard in the past. Guide us, guard us, strengthen us, embolden us to be the men and women, boys and girls, that you have called us to be as followers of Jesus Christ. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we prepare to, to worship and, and go out into the world, and to minister into the world, if there's anything that has that has been laid on your heart that is particularly heavy or burdensome, or that you want to celebrate or pray over, just recognize that uh, Pastor Neil and myself and Pastor Mark are available after the service and throughout the week to pray with you, to talk with you, to provide advice and counsel. Let us worship.